This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for Thursday, February 3rd, 2022. This week's Intego Mac Podcast security headlines include some Face ID tricks for you, your phone, and your mask. OneDrive and Dropbox run into a kernel extension issue, and things may be kind of haywire for their syncing capabilities right now. The App Store announces support for unlisted apps for private distribution. It's a good thing. Britain's Royal Mail starts printing barcodes on stamps, and fun may ensue. Now, here are the hosts of the Indigo Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Indigo's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing just fine. You know, I went out today. I had to go to an optician to get a new pair of glasses, and I had a mask on, and I had to look at my phone. And I really like the fact that my Apple Watch can unlock my phone using Face ID when I have a mask on. Of course, it's not using Face ID. It's that Face ID fails, but then it kind of drops back to the watch to confirm that it's me. Now, the problem is that unlike you and I who have watches, there are a lot of people who don't. And if they're out wearing a mask, they have to take the mask off or type their passcode. And in the latest iOS 15.4 beta, Apple has introduced a new feature which will allow Face ID to work while you are wearing a mask. Yeah. So, okay. I, I, I don't know. We were talking before the show and it sounds like for the most part, this this works flawlessly for you and you never have any problems with for me it's i'm gonna say 99 percent of the time okay so i'm i don't have quite as high of a success rate now i i have an apple watch series 5 so it's you know a couple generations old not that old and so i i don't know what it is i don't know if it is something about you know the connection between my watch and my phone for whatever reason it fails for me not not half the time, but like maybe say 25% of the time when I'm out in public, my watch does not unlock my phone. And it's not even, sometimes I get the proximity thing where it's like, bring your watch closer to your phone. Okay. They're like, you know, inches apart, but okay. I've gotten that before. And other times it just fails to work. Like if I, if I had just put on my watch which that has happened to me too, because like going through security checkpoints where I have to take off my watch and then, you know, I've got a mask on. Now that makes sense. Now I, now I have, I understand why I need to, you know, unlock my watch. I might need to like put in my passcode again, just to like approve that connection between the two. But, um, it's other circumstances where sometimes it fails for me. So we'll see if this new functionality works better for me. You do take your iPhone out of the Faraday cage. Yes, of course. <laughs> I, I, I have because little... I know you keep your iPhone in a specially designed Faraday cage to protect you to make sure that no one can get into it. Yes, exactly. So, so nobody can contact me. Unfortunately, that's the unfortunate side effect, of course, of having a Faraday cage. Is I can't communicate with the outside world nor them with me. But I kind of wonder why you would have this problem. I mean. There's nothing wrong with your face, as far as I can tell. When this happens, if you hold up your phone and it fails, what happens if you put your phone down and hold it up again? Does it work or does it keep failing? No, it keeps failing. Okay. So, and again, I don't know the exact reason for this. So in any case, it does seem like um, at least we're getting some new enhancements coming in iOS 15.4 that should help out with this. Now, there is a bit of a 
potential security trade-off here because now if it's going to be identifying you while you're wearing a mask and it doesn't require you to have an Apple Watch, then basically it's only really identifying you by the tiny strip of your face above your mask line, which um, it seems to me you could have a lot more potential for false positive identifications where somebody else, maybe their eyes and eyebrows kind of look similar to yours or is shaped similarly. And now maybe they could unlock your phone when they're wearing a mask too. They're even offering an option to do this a second time to set up Face ID a second time with glasses, if you wear glasses. So to do it once with and one without, suggesting that having less of the face means that the glasses could disturb it. So you actually need that second appearance recorded. Yeah, my, my hope is with this that this is an additional face beyond your alternative appearance. So what they currently let you do with Face ID is you can have an alternative appearance, which kind of is their way of saying, OK, it's OK to have a second person. And lock in, log into your phone. Um, I, I, I mean, I'm maybe not exactly intended for that, but I, a lot of people use it for that. I, I've set up an alternative appearance, and I don't remember if I did one with my glasses on and one with my glasses off. I might have actually thought of doing that because I do wear glasses half the time. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see. I, I assume that this is going to be kind of a third face. So you've got your face without glasses, your face with glasses, and maybe also your alternative face, which could be your significant other or somebody else you trust. What I find interesting is you can unlock the iPhone with your Apple Watch and you can unlock the Apple Watch with the iPhone. Uh huh. And there's a sort of a circularity going on here. Right, but it's only it's only one direction at a time, so you can't uh, <laughs> you can't unlock both with the other, and you, one of them has to be unlocked first. Yeah. Right, of course, yeah. So well, I notice, for instance, I take a shower, and when I put my watch back on, I unlock my phone. I swipe up on my phone, then I see the little thing saying the Apple Watch being unlocked, which is new in iOS 15. By the way, you get a notification, and you can tap it to stop the unlocking. In case, let's say. In the room next door, someone's picked up your watch and it's close enough for the iPhone and the watch to communicate. This will alert you that it's being unlocked and this will allow you to stop it. Is that really new with iOS 15? I feel like that feature has been around for a long time, but I, I do like having that. There was a feature before, but it was very unreliable. And I think with iOS 15, it started working. Hmm. Okay. Well, in any case, it's good, I guess, that Apple is making new advances in this area. And, and by the way, there's definitely a scenario where if you have both your watch and your phone shut off and you have to turn them both back on, you you really do have to unlock both of them at least once with a passcode before any of this is going to work. Even if you're not wearing a mask. Yes, regardless <laughs> of whether you're wearing a mask. Okay, we saw some news about some new stamps here in the UK. Royal Mail is adding barcodes to stamps offering digital extras. And your first question was like, why would they do that? Apparently, you can watch a Sean the Sheep video, a special Sean the Sheep video, if you have a stamp with the barcode and the Royal Mail app. You can't, this isn't a QR code. It looks like it's a part of a QR code. So you can't just use the camera app on your iPhone that would take you to a website. You have to have the Royal Mail app. And interestingly, what this means I looked on the App Store. I use the U.S. App Store. I don't use the U.K. App Store. The Royal Mail app is not available. So if I were to send you a letter with this stamp hoping you could watch the Sean the Sheep video, you wouldn't be able to watch it because you can't get the app. That's really interesting. Um, <clears throat> so this whole thing is... 
<laughs> well, I'm just pointing out. But the reason we're talking about this is we've talked about QR codes recently yeah. and how they can be at risk. And my immediate thought when I saw this is hacker prints labels that look exactly like stamps with malicious mm -hmm. QR codes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or, I mean, really, for that matter, you could just stick a label, you know, a sticker on top of the legit barcode. And then people go, oh, cool, this must be the new Shaun the Sheep video. I can't wait to watch this. And so then they scan it and then something bad happens, maybe. I don't know. So it is interesting that this is going to require a specifically designed app. And that makes me wonder, you know, if they design this app properly, then it should be vetting each one of those codes to make sure that, hey, this is a legit code that we've really put out there in official stamps. If not, then it shouldn't do anything. But we'll have to see whether they actually design it that way or whether people are able to exploit this. Honestly, I don't think I'm going to buy any of these stamps. So if someone <laughs> sends me a letter with one of these stamps, then we can talk about it. Yeah. And by the way, when we were researching this story before we started recording, I, I went to the Royal Mail website to to look into this and read their official announcement about it. And I got one of those like really annoying GDPR mandated pop ups that says, you know, hey, we want to steal all your private information. Is that cool? And then, um, <laughs> well, you not know, steal. You we just some... want to track you and build a profile <laughs> of you and record your IP address and <laughs> all, all that. It's not all, all your private information. So I had to click through to, to this thing to like opt out and then I picked no and no for the optional things, performance and targeting or advertising cookies. And then there are two buttons and this really bugs me because I've seen this on so many websites. One of the buttons says save preferences and then the other button says accept all. Um, accept all of the preferences that I just picked? No, no, be careful because accept all actually means accept all cookies. Not, it does, you know, just ignore the settings that I just set, set to no. Accept all would actually mean that you accept all the cookies. So be, be very careful about that when you see these pop-ups. Okay, GDPR is the General Data Protection Regulation, and it was implemented in May 2018. The goal of GDPR is to, to set regulations. These aren't directives, these are proper regulations on how user data, when you say steal all your private data and all that, like how the data is stored, recorded, etc. So we just discovered today that these consent pop-ups are unlawful. These were designed by the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Anything that has the word advertising in it means they want to steal all your private data, right? <laughs> and the 28 EU data protection authorities have ruled this illegal. This is really complicated. We're going to link in the show notes to an article on the Irish Council for Civil Liberties. If you scroll down, you can read the entire decision translated from Dutch. Basically, shortly after GDPR went live, there were complaints, Google, Amazon, a bunch of other companies, Facebook, Instagram, et cetera. And it took years for these complaints to get through the court. And now this is being ruled illegal. The, the reasons are that they fail to ensure that personal data is kept secure and confidential. They fail to properly request consent, which is a good description of what you just had there, that you thought accept all was the right thing. They don't provide transparency about what happens to your data, et cetera, et cetera. Now, GDPR doesn't affect people in the U.S., except for the fact that California based their consumer privacy law on GDPR. And a lot of other countries have used this as a template that they've adapted to their own countries in order to protect user data. So if this is illegal in Europe or, let's say, not fit for purpose, as the Brits like to say, mm -hmm. well, it's pretty much going to be affecting the entire world, I think. Well, yeah. So there's... 
There's the question of was GDPR not specific enough or was IAB Europe deliberately, you know, working around the regulation, right? Cheating? Cheating. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So I, I guess it's it's a matter of perspective. Now, I imagine that if you work for IAB Europe and you were one of the people who were developing this uh, technology, you might argue that you did everything right. You know, hey, I complied with the law. I did everything that you asked. And now you're saying you want more. And that's that's what the advertising bureaus, I think, are going to their, their perspective on this is going to be. These pop ups have become so omnipresent, at least in Europe, that I can't waste my time going through the options and refusing them. In addition, I find that in certain areas, I continually get pop-ups. I guess this happens more on banks where they want you to accept cookies more often because of the way banking, because of the way banks are using your information, your session data and stuff like that. But I, I just I just see so many of them and it's gotten to the point where please go away. And there has to be a better solution to protect our data without getting to that. What did they call it on Microsoft Windows where there were so many security alerts that people just stopped paying any attention to them and just click, you know, next or whatever. Right. Apple famously made fun of this with the cancel or allow, you know, yeah. <laughs> advertisements back in the day. Yeah. So it's gotten to the point where they're essentially useless, but it's illegal now. So I guess all the websites are going to drop it and we'll see what happens in a couple of years. All right. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to have some more interesting news. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2022. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection, Net Barrier for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security, Personal Backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Monterey and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego. World-class protection and utility software for Mac users. Made by the Mac security experts. So there's one little piece of news that I found really interesting. Apple's App Store is now supporting unlisted apps that you can only access if you have a direct link. And we were trying to figure out the use case for this. Because, well, if it's a company that's making an app, they don't want their employees necessarily using their own devices, right? You want to you wanna use an MDM solution to put exactly which apps you want on their devices. But one good example of why this would be useful is imagine the people who deliver your Amazon packages. They're using their own phones, at least here. Amazon subcontracts to companies who then subcontract to the drivers. So they're not Amazon employees. They're using their own phones and they need to access an app. 
Uber, Lyft, other companies like that. There are delivery companies where these contractors won't be using devices provided by the company. And this makes a lot of sense that a driver can just get the link and download the app. Obviously, they'll need to log in with certain credentials to be able to do it. But it makes a lot of sense to more easily distribute apps than through some sort of an MDM system or test flight or something like that. Right. Another potential scenario, although Apple um, does not support any kind of beta or demo software at all on the App Store. But another um, use case for this might be, let's say that you're in development of a new game. You would normally distribute this app outside of the App Store, not within the App Store ecosystem at all, if you had a small group of people who were testing. Let's say that you wanted to open that up for wider testing. Maybe you're just getting ready to launch and you want to get any additional feedback feedback. Again, you can't call it a beta, but it's essentially a public beta program that you could, you know, put this app out there. Maybe it's a video game that you're developing and you want some more feedback from the community before people can start searching for it in the app store. This would be another potential use case. Well, you can use TestFlight with up to 10,000 people. And the advantage of TestFlight is there's a built-in feedback system. So I can understand what you're saying. You might want to do a focus group kind of thing. Or actually, I just thought of something very interesting. What if the, the Oscars organization, instead of sending out DVDs for your consideration, were to make an app for the iPad that they would send out to people who are going to vote on the Oscars in which they could access the films? That would be an interesting way to do it. This would be a private app. It wouldn't be a beta. It would, let's say, last until the Oscars broadcast, and then it would be no longer available. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's, so there's a lot of, I think, potential use cases for this. So it's nice to see that Apple's adding this option to the App Store. Okay, macOS 12.3 is removing some software that should have been removed years ago. Uh, yeah, I think you're talking about Python 2.7, right? Python is this uh, scripting language um, that has been included with macOS for a long time, the Python framework. And for many years, Python 2.7 has not been the current version. In fact, what was it, 2008, I think, that Python 3 came out? So it's been around for a very, very long time at this point. Now, originally when Python came out, Python is kind of largely used by developers and system administrators and people who want to do that geeky, you know, scripting kind of stuff. They want to automate tasks and be able to do things um, very quickly. For example, a system administrator might want to pre-configure certain things on your Mac, and so then they'll deploy a script to do this stuff automatically. So Python 2.7 has been kind of, even though it's old and outdated, it's kind of been the standard. And there were a lot of scripts that were written specifically to work with Python 2.7. And so it's just kind of been dragged out um, for a very long time, far longer than it ever should have been. It has no longer been getting security updates since I think 2020 at this point. So we're, we're beyond the point where it should even be included in the operating system for safety reasons. And so Apple is finally going to be removing this in macOS 12.3, the next version of Monterey that's going to be coming out soon. Okay, Josh, ask me how my day was Monday. How was your day on Monday, Kirk? It was miserable. 
I woke up Monday morning and I went to my desk and I went to save a file. I had ordered something on Amazon and I needed to save the bill for my business expenses. And I have a folder called purchases and it's in the sidebar in the finder. And I went to save the file and it was gone. The folder was gone. What do you mean now, it was gone? It was no longer in the sidebar on the finder. Now, occasionally things like that get lost. So this is files that I keep in my, that I kept past tense in my OneDrive folder. Because for a couple of years, I've been using OneDrive for cloud storage. And I use this for files I want to have both on my iMac and my laptop, for example. Well, I went to my OneDrive folder and something had changed. Instead of it being a normal folder, it was an alias. And I went inside and all my files were gone. So anyone who uses OneDrive discovered that the latest version of OneDrive made a change into the way files are managed. And Microsoft has turned on a feature that was previously optional called Files on Demand, where your files will be in the cloud unless you download them. But you can't even turn off this feature. Now, we're going to link to an article on Mac rumors. There are a couple of things going on here that Apple's making some changes in, in Mac OS 12.3. It's not clear whether Microsoft really needed to do this. We're going to link to a blog article on the Microsoft website. You need to go down to the end to the addendum from the product manager, which I only saw today, explaining sort of why this happened. Actually, the files were still there. They had just been moved to a cache folder, and I didn't know it. I had to recover mine from a backup, which was easy. I had a backup from the night before, and I recovered them all. I moved them all to iCloud Drive. I'm no longer using OneDrive. But there are some people on the Microsoft forums who had 200, 500 gigabytes of files, a terabyte or more. And Microsoft didn't think of sending an email to say, hey, on this new version, we're going to move the files. You can actually find them in this cache folder. People didn't realize that. And then copy them to the one, and they just did this so wrong that this is incredibly frustrating and people have wasted a lot of time. For me, it was an entire morning Monday. I only had about 30 gigabytes of files, but it was figuring out where they went, what happened, and how to recover them. Right. So all this kind of came about because of a change that's coming in macOS 12.3 that apparently both Dropbox and OneDrive, it's not just OneDrive, um, are using a kernel extension that has this functionality that allows this this syncing to take place, this automatic syncing between your cloud drive and your local computer. So there's something, and, and it's not exactly clear what it is looking at the release notes, but there's something that they're changing that is breaking the way that those kernel extensions work so that they will no longer behave. Now, Apple has been trying to get companies to move away from kernel extensions for you know a few years now. Um, kernel extensions are, are deprecated technology. They're really trying to move developers to use something else instead. So this is one of those things where it's it's kind of it's kind of apple but it's also i mean microsoft kind of botched the way that they handled this transition <laughs> that's kind of the bigger story here i think and, and so like what they could have done for instance is um yes better messaging there sh there should have been messaging within the app right not just an email because i you know i'm one of those people who doesn't 
check my email probably as often as I should or as carefully. Yeah, but OneDrive is an app that lives in the menu bar, so you're not really necessarily going to look at it. No, but I've, I've seen this kind of thing before with Dropbox. When they have a major update, they can put a badge or something on their icon in the menu bar to let you know, hey, there's something important that you need to be aware of here. Yeah. You know, and, and they can also use push notifications as well. Um, so Yeah, if you've turned them on. Right. So there are ways that they could communicate something like this to users before <laughs> suddenly making a dramatic change like this. So another problem is that you can right-click on a file or folder and choose Always Keep on Device to keep the files, to tell OneDrive to always keep them, but it wasn't working for most people. Apparently, what should have happened is it should have then moved them from that cache folder to the correct folder rather than actually download them, but it didn't work at all. So this this is really problematic. There are a couple reasons why I want to have these files local and not just in the cloud. One of them is that they back up to Time Machine and to my other backups. And in fact, that's how I recovered the files on Monday. The second is... I keep my accounting files, my work files, and I want to be able to search using Spotlight for more than just the file name. And you can't do that if the files aren't local. So if I wrote an article about the iPhone and avocados, right? I would want to be able to search those two search terms and find where they are in Spotlight. And if the files aren't local, you can't do that. Now, I understand why you may not want to keep all files local because you may not have a lot of storage, Let's say in your business, you've got terabytes of files and you only want to download the ones you need when you need them. But this isn't the case of everyone. And I think Microsoft caused a lot of problems for a lot of people. I was seeing a lot of people saying they're moving away from OneDrive and going to iCloud Drive. And for many years, I'd been hesitant about iCloud Drive because I didn't really trust it. It seems to be working a lot better now with the latest operating systems, you know, Mac OS 12 and, and iOS 15. So I've moved my files there and I'm keeping my fingers crossed. All right. Well, we'll, we'll see how, <laughs> how successful we are using iCloud instead of uh, Dropbox and OneDrive from now on. Okay. Last story. We've been talking a lot about AirTags. In fact, we spend an awful lot of time on AirTags since they came out last year. And we've talked about AirTag stalking. And Pennsylvania apparently could become the first state to pass a law targeting AirTag abuse, specific to AirTags, the kind of stalking that is enabled by the AirTag. I think this is a good idea, but... Just making something like that illegal doesn't mean people are going to stop doing it. Well, I, I suppose. And of course, there also are already laws that prohibit stalking and things like that. It's just more specifically the use of a device like an AirTag um, to stalk somebody. That's that's kind of what it, they're trying to codify into law. So th right now, this is just proposed legislation. They're seeking co-sponsors. And this is something that only right now applies to Pennsylvania. So it, it's not law yet, but it could be something that other states want to consider or other countries as well if, if this becomes a bigger issue. And and so far, there have been a fair number of stories where AirTags have been used to track somebody, track their vehicles, you know, find out where somebody lives and things like that. So uh, it's it's maybe not a bad thing that I, got, I guess that legislators are looking at this, as long as they're not like too specifically targeting AirTags, right? They're, they're not, it, this shouldn't be something that is uh, punitive toward Apple so much as it is that we need to be aware that we can be tracked just about anywhere. And that necessarily means that somebody else could be tracking you without your knowledge. Okay, that's enough for this week. Until next week, stay secure. All right, stay secure. 
Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.